Time now for our regular series, New Zealand Sporting History. And you will know the name Erin Baker. You'll know that she is uh, was a triathlete, a champion triathlete. Did you know she won the first triathlon she ever entered? And then, by the way, won the next week too, and the week after that. In fact, she ended up with an incredible record. She entered 121 races, and she won 104 of them. She was a staunch competitor in more ways than one. Uh, she was also a bit of an activist. She boycotted many races over the issue of unequal prize money. And she's generously agreed to join us and talk about her nine world champion titles across three disciplines and the rest of her life as well. Erin Baker joins me now. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. Nice, nice to talk to you. And would I be right in thinking that you don't go out of your way to talk about your sporting achievements publicly? I try my best not to. <laughs> yes, that would be right. Yeah. Pl- plenty of champions do. I, that's, the, that's the model, right? You have a few years of, uh, of victories and then a few more good years on the, uh, on the speaking circuit going and recounting the best bits for anyone who's interested. Well, yes, but I tend to think that not very many people are interested and you hear it start, start getting very bored by the sound of your own voice. So I tried very hard not to do that. <laughs> well, we're very interested and um, we're particularly interested in how it all started. You grew up in Kaiapoi. Can you tell us a bit about um, your life as a kid and were you a sporting uh, family, sporting child? Um, we were a, a, um, a large family, my you know, working class, class family. Um, and um, because my father was involved in just basically digging out the first swimming pool in Kaipui, um, I think we got to use the pool for free. <laughs> so anyway, we all just became swimmers. That's what we did. Wow. We, from a very young age, we just became swimmers, and um, that was just sort of the story of our, you know, as we got better, our father would be you know, either taking us to Ringura Pool or later as things went on into Christchurch, and so we just, Became swimmer kids, um, mainly probably because we had to. Um, some of us enjoyed it more than others, but um, you just did what you were told then. <laughs> what was the pool your dad dug out? Oh, just the, the first Kaipo swimming pool. I mean, him and a whole lot of other people, but, um, you know, I think that's the way things happened back then. You know, it was a lot of community involvement to get, you know, little community facilities going. Yeah, public pool, eh? Just a public pool, yeah. Yep. I, it's not there anymore. There's a new pool in the same place, but okay. yeah, it was, uh, yeah. And, and probably not, uh, yeah. probably not created in quite the same way, given how the world has changed. Um, and Definitely you, not. You, 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 you had a bit of a connection to the Labour Party too, I think, in the in the seventies. Did your mum work with Norman Kirk? Uh, my mum's dad worked for Norman Kirk, mm. so he worked um, for him, um, I think, for several years, many years, and. Um, that was really, you know, where my, yeah, my dad's and then my mother's sort of, uh, probably my mother's activism stemmed from her socialist values um, back in the day, which came from sort of working class roots. Yeah. Your first triathlon was uh, 1984, I think, but I want to briefly mention 1981 because uh, the Springbok Tour loomed large in your life. Yes, well, it did, and um, we were certainly, you know, at that stage, sort of a large Catholic, sort of socialistly value-based family, if you like. You know, my mum was very big on um, 
sort of doing the right thing. We did a lot of community stuff and she worked for Corso and all sorts of organisations. And so when the Springbrook tour, you know, uh, came about, it was just sort of, um, you know, we knew about apartheid and right and wrong in life. And so it was seemed just a natural thing to be um, on the side of thinking that we shouldn't support, you know, um, uh, a race, you know, a racist regime that had apartheid rules in place, and so that was just sort of almost like, you know, getting up and going to church on Sunday. You just thought, well, this is the right thing to do, or you sh- mm-hmm. should do it, maybe, and you did it. So yeah, I was very involved, um, and through that, I got some um, convictions, some which were I was rightly convicted of, sort of civil disobedience, and others. Others that I was wrongly, but that's a long gone story now. And um, sort of that ended up affecting a little bit of my first and early years involved in triathlon. Yeah. It was an incident with a bus, I think. Yeah. Incident with a bus, yes, (laughs) yes. So, um, you know, stopping a bus in uh, Nelson, I'm trying to get it to not go to the the sporting venue of wherever it was, Trafalgar Park, wherever where the game was being played. So, yes, that was, um, yeah. All before the age of 21, I think. Gosh. So you moved to Sydney, and I think that is the, um, although obviously, you, you know, you mentioned that you were always pretty sporting, athletic, and a, a swimmer, but it was the uh, the move to Sydney that, that was the first, what, the first step towards uh, competing in triathlons. Can you tell us about that time in your life? Um, yeah, well, I did move to Sydney, um, you know, um, I had, as you have I've talked about, had been a swimmer kid. Um, after that, though, I actually had been a runner kid, you know, sort of in my teens, I became quite a good runner, though, you know, not the greatest, but pretty good. And um, then, you know, with what happens when you're 18, 19, 20, you study and you sort of give sport away or you know, whatever else people do. And so I hadn't done a lot. So I ended up in Sydney, um, living actually in the middle of Sydney and I think working out at Ran, um, out on the, the beaches. And so... I sort of started to get into a bit of a regime of biking um, to work and then I sort of got into a regime of biking to work and sometimes running home. Which was, I, I can't exactly remember, but it was it was around about 30K. Oh. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you couldn't even bike that way now, right through the freeway under the airport. Yeah. You know, it was crazy, really. Um, but then I sort of uh, just, you know, got into being fitter again and then I... Um, saw a sort of, you know, an uh, ad for a, a triathlon. It was called the Royal National Parks. And I thought, well, yep, I can give that a go. You know, I, I can mm. swim, run and bike. And so that's what I did. I did that event and it was quite a long event and um, sort of did it, won it, said I'd never do another. But then <laughs> the following week, I can't quite remember if I went to up to the Gold Coast or to Cairns because I had an uncle living in Cairns because it was a, another triathlon up there. And did that and won that and did a few more and won those and yeah. And then, well, well, hang on. Why did you really, say you were never going to do one again? Was it because it was that oh, hard? Oh, because they're hard. Yeah. Because they're hard. And that event was um, reasonably long, like you know, uh, near on a four-hour event, and or maybe three and a half hours. And you know, I um, I have never known how not to exhaust myself. Mm. So you know, I go as hard as I possibly can. So. You know, it was, it was it's it's hard when you're going hard, and uh, you know, at the end of it, you're shattered, and you think, well, well, why, what did you do that for? But um, I sort of 
got the passion for it straight away and thought, oh, okay, maybe I will um, will give another one a go. And then I started earning little bits and pieces of prize money along the way. So that certainly eat me on. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, would have been a nice pocket money as well as the uh, regular salary you were picking up as a radiographer. Yes, exactly, indeed. So what was your first and big, then, big win? Well, about not much longer after that. I can't remember years. I've never been good on years, but either the same year or the next year, um, there was a event that was going to happen in Australia, and I knew in triathlon then about the you know the the sport and the people who were the best at it around the world, and it was sort of growing in huge popularity amongst the people that knew about you know multi sports, and um, I uh, went. Decided I would enter that. It was an Ironman event, which I thought was a very long way to, you know, go because it's, you know, 3.8 swim, 180 bike, 42 run. But I thought well, that would be something to, you know, train for mm. and maybe lose some weight for because I was a little chubby, you know, 21-year-old, 22-year-old. And so I actually went back to New Zealand to um, live free with my parents and train for probably, I don't know, six months or so. Gosh. And came back to that event in Australia, and I won it. And that was sort of a big deal because there was prize money. All the top Americans and other people from around the world were, you know, there. Um, it, was, it was a big deal in a little sport. And um, won it by forty I minutes, I should it. say. Yeah, I did run it by a bit. So <laughs> I found my my wing, you know, sort of niche, and I got a little bit of publicity and. You know, it sort of sent me on my way. Yeah, gosh. And and, and was there a sort of a circuit, an international circuit at that stage? It was realistic for you to do just that? Um, well, there was a big, a good circuit in America, um, but because of the Springbok tour um, conviction, I sort of didn't even consider that. Ah. Um, but there was a good um, circuit also going in in Europe. Um, and a friend, you know, a friend and colleague, and um, that became my coach, John Hallamans, um, was a, a very much aware of that, you know, circuit. And so anyway, we, we made a you know plan to get over to Europe, which I did. And there, you know, there were a lot of a lot of races. I started racing. I won, I think, the European half distance championship. Then I got a big sponsor. I was really surprised because I was sort of, you know had people with cell phones ringing me and I, you know, on a landline saying they were driving to come and talk to me about a contract and they had BMW and all that sort of stuff. It seemed a big deal at those days. And um, I, they, so a company called Lecoq's Boutique signed me up. Wow. I remember them. And, you know, and yeah, they, and they were great actually for me because they promoted me heavily and, um, you know, I went from most weekends in the summer or in the, you know, in European summer, there were races, and we actually travelled as a team, the Coxportive team. You know, had all the frills. You know, they paid for everything and hotels and races and really cool venues all around. You know, Europe and Berlin and before the world wall came down, and you know, in France and all, all through the place. And mm. it was fun. I really enjoyed it, and so I did that for maybe two seasons. Um, before things changed a bit, whereby I got a call from a guy who was a, a huge event promoter that I'd heard of, and he wanted me um, to co- go and do the Hawaiian Ironman. 
And I, I remember getting this call in France and he said, you know, I said, well, I can't get a visa. And he um, said he would, he would, you know, leave that to him. And um, the long and short of that story was he did get me a visa and I did go to, to you know, to mm. America and went to Hawaii and et cetera. Can you tell me about your, um, your approach to training? Um, well, I wasn't sophisticated in as much as, you know, nowadays, it's, you know, heart monitors yeah. and, you know, everyone has a sort of a, a threshold that they work, you know, on or towards or heart rate or those sorts of things. But um, I've always been very, very pragmatic and probably I have a good, very good intuition about myself. So I, you would just, you know, look at what events were coming up or what, you know, I was aiming towards and, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty renowned, for example, you know, when I was in Christchurch in the South Island, you know, if I was training for an Ironman, I would do, you know, bikes, like I'd bike to Akaroa and back from Christchurch, or I'd bike to Ashburton and back, and then I'd, you know, run around the, you know, the circumference of the hills, and I, I just, I used to sort of go long, short, hard, fast, and um, slower, so I just sort of have this, what you, you know, call a periodic sort of thing where you're yeah. going, you know, one day hard, next day long. Next that day was mostly short, intuitive, was it, Erin? Was it based yeah, on most, a sort of, sort of scientific of approach? Intuitive. Yeah. No, it wasn't based on a scientific approach <laughs> really at all. Not until I sort of got more involved with John Hellemans who, you know, sort of made it more of a scientific yeah. approach. But it probably didn't change a lot for me. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd go and be told to, you know, do reps on the track, get whatever pays. But I have always liked to push as hard as I can. So I will go as hard as I possibly can, even if I'm only meant to be doing, you know, 90%. It's just the way I was, the way I am, yeah. um, which served me well in most times. Um, I have a good genetics because I never really got injured. Um, and once when I was training on the track in Boulder, you know, running much faster than I was meant to be running, <laughs> Um, Robert D. Costello came up to me and said, you should do a running race next weekend, um, which I duly did, and I won it. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's just how I sort of am. I, yeah. I try to train as hard as I possibly can. I, well, I did try to train as hard. I, I pushed myself. I still push myself. Um, and I guess it's just my DNA that I try to do everything as well as I can and Sometimes it's most of the time it's worked in my favour, and occasionally it hasn't. Is it just a sporting thing, or, or did you find when you into you know you were in politics for a while, but also in, in business, achieved quite a lot in business? Did you find that same sort of um, part of your brain lighting up um, in terms of the effort you would put in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I remember one week in my business um, career. Um, having 11 flights in New Zealand, and, and one day I flew to Auckland and back from Christchurch twice. I mean, I if 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 I thought uh, you know you know that I could do a bit more that day, or I you know I had left something not done well, I sort of have it in me to see if I can you know do more. And it's it as I said, most of the time it works well for you. Um, occasionally it backfires, but I just have that sort of drive. Um, drives my friends nuts now. You know, most people won't bite with me or swim with me or whatever I do these days. But um, I try to be good with my friends these days. You know, I try to realise that not everyone wants to kill themselves on a bike. Rather, you know, we're over sixty now. 
do, do you and your husband yeah. um, run together or, or exercise together? Um, no, no, we 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 sort of we very occasionally parallel in what we're doing, but um, like most husbands and wives, you know, you're the you're the, each other, you love and hate each other the most. So <laughs> we tend to steer steer clear of each other, um, exercise, and we see enough of each other as it is. Yeah, he's a triathlete too. Do you mind sharing the story of how you met and got together? Um, well, it was, it, it was actually a funny story, really, because I really had, I'd won quite a few events, and I can't really remember the year it was that we met, but gosh, I don't see if I'm, I must have been in 61, about 71, 81, around 90, maybe 87, and I had probably done a good six years, five years, six years of triathlon by then, and I'd won a lot of things, and I was pretty happy with what I'd done. Yeah. But, and I didn't feel I had any real new motivations to do more. So I was at the point where I was actually coming back to New Zealand. I had been in Europe and I um, I stopped by a race in Provo, Utah. And um, Provo, Utah is, you know, the Mormon capital of the world. And the reason why that's funny is because, you know, I, I sort of met up with Scott in a hotel lift and, you know, he said, you know, do you want to come out on a date? Well, a date in Provo, Utah, the <laughs> maximum we could ever do there was, you know, go and sit and watch a movie. We went and watched Moonstruck with Sheer. Oh, well. good one, yeah. And uh, <laughs> good movie. Um, and um, I was then meant to be coming back to New Zealand. I had a ticket out of there. And uh, But in those days, things were different. And I had one, a friend that I knew well in triathlon. She lived in Boulder. And she had a, a spear. She was meant not flying back to Colorado. Um, but she had a ticket to fly back and she said, you know, she sort of maybe twinged that I was a little bit besotted with Scott Molina and she said, look, take my ticket. You're, you know, you're, he's on the same flight as me or not this flight she wasn't taking. And so I took, I got her ticket and I remember calling Rick Wells because he was at the same race and I, and, uh, I hadn't even packed my bike and, you know, I had a rental car and I'm flying around wanting to make this flight like you wouldn't believe and, um, and screamed up to the airport, left my car at the front door like, you know, like you're not meant to do. And uh, Scott sort of, you know, tells a story now how he saw me, you know, out of the car, got my bike over one shoulder and my big bag <laughs> over the other shoulder, you know, my neck straining like, you know, God, I've got it. And he, he said he knew he'd never be rid of me. Then. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> <laughs> and he was happy yeah, at, so that was it. at some stage to move back here to New Zealand. Yeah, well, he he was more keen than I actually. He um, loved New Zealand, and he just sort of the safety aspect of it and raising you know family here. Um, um, I actually at that stage loved Colorado. I loved this you know the place we live. But um, yes, we moved back to New Zealand, and that's been wonderful. Yeah, cool. Well, he would have been earning more than you for a triathlon win back in those days because that was just kind of how it was in the 80s, right? And and it seemed, well, speaking uh, generally here, it seemed kind of normal. And and you thought, no, I don't think that is normal. I don't think that's right. Yeah, well, I had a couple of interesting situations because, um, be, you know, before most people knew I'd, you know, what's the terminology, hooked up with Scott. You know, people <laughs> didn't know that and... I remember um, he was sort of one of the star a couple of years in a row at the New Zealand Ironman um, when it was being raced in Auckland. And 
I remember, I won't name names, but the, the people who were promoting the event at the time, you know, contacted me because I, I didn't always do Ironmans. I, I did a lot of short middle class distance events as well. And, mm. of course, I'd be racing overseas in our winter. And so I didn't always want to do a lot of races here. And, you know, they said, well, you know, we really, you know, would love you to, to do the, you know, Auckland Ironman and da-da-da. And, and I said, oh, yeah, okay, well, I can, you know, think about it. It doesn't really fit with my training, but, you know. And I said, so, you know, um, what about an appearance fee or something like that? And they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't, we're not doing appearance fees. No, we don't, we don't do appearance fees. We never have and we're not going to. And I said, oh, that's interesting because my now boyfriend, Scott Molina, is getting $5,000. Mm. And they're like, oh, mm. and I said, so <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll I'll come for the same amount. So that was sort of um, it was interesting that people weren't honest because, yeah. of course, I suppose it's it's similar in a lot of events. I mean, you know, I think that things like appearance fees and that um, prize money is obvious because they have to advertise it. But yeah. with athletes and elite athletes, there's often appearance fees and. That's something that you know no one really knows who's getting what. So, you know that was that was that. But equally on the converse, I remember also when I was negotiating with Lecoq Sportif, and um, I had no idea what to ask for, no idea whatsoever, because they were off wanting me to have a three-year contract with them, and I did ring Scott Molina, and I this is before actually we were dating. And I said, well, you know, would you mind giving me some sort of guidelines here? Anyway, he he said that he was getting X amount of dollars from a sponsor at the time. It was I can't remember which sponsor. So when I was talking to Lecoq Sportif, I said, yep, this is you know this is with this how would this go? And they're like, oh, okay, yep, that'll be that sounds right. But it was then then when I talked to Scott Molina some months after, he said to me, you know, how did that contract negotiation go? And I said, yep. I said, yep, that went great, thank you. You know, I got that amount of money per year for three years. And he's like, what? No, I told you to get that amount of money over the three-year period. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, didn't I do well? Oh, wow. And so I actually ended up getting triple what, supposedly he was getting at the time so you know it was yeah yeah but yes but you yeah and it's um it's one thing to protest but you actually i mean actions speak louder than words right you you would not go to races uh if the if the prize money wasn't equal yeah well i'm i i can't say i was always virtuous because to be honest triathlon has always been incredibly equal certainly the Coxwell Chief series it always was a lot of the European races I think they were you know were always were equal the ones that weren't and that did happen a few times and that and they would say well look if you win we'll pay you the same amount as the men but that you must keep that to yourself so those mm-hmm. are the events I didn't those are the events I didn't go to I said well no unless you're going to advertise that you know, the women's is the same as the men. Because I did have that several times people would say to me, look, keep quiet and don't tell everybody, but if you win, we'll give you the same as yeah. we're giving the men. Um, and I just feel that that wasn't, you know, it just wasn't right. Mm. You, you know, everybody, yeah, everyone had the, everyone's doing the same work out there. Everyone's working their 
tail off, training their tail off. But the issue that most female sports have and probably still have is, is the depth of payment um, that, you know, they have, they'll say, well, you know, men will pay them 20 deep and women 10 deep. Um, and that was certainly the case when, you know, men's numbers were much higher than women's numbers. And those ones, I sort of felt that that was fair enough. Mm-hmm. But then over over the years, a lot of women have sort of, you know, come up, you know, said, but, if you know, we need to make sure there's this equal depth in prize money to promote women more in sport so that, you know, more and more people enter. And, of course, nowadays, a lot of events, um, triathlon, but many sports, there's more women competitors than men. So, you know, that has equaled out now in most cases, I believe. Some athletes, I'm talking to Erin Baker, uh, and we're almost up on time, but some, some athletes, Erin, um, are motivated by statistics. I'm thinking about another great Cantabrian athlete to Richard Hadley. Uh, he, he, you know, he loved keeping track of what he had done and he'd use it as a way of motivating him for the next test. But I, I feel like you're not that person. Um, you don't really keep um, track of dates or times or even results in some situations but even trophies (laughs) even trophies so is there can i ask you is there a moment in your triathlon career that you remember more fondly than all the rest um you know the the problem with this question is my my biggest highlight in my entire life was winning um a, a very large big running race in the united states that was actually my biggest highlight ever yeah because i i was a mad keen runner and I loved running I thought it was the purest of sports but if I'm to look back honestly one of my best wins but one of my poorest performances was the Commonwealth Games triathlon where we were a demonstration sport and I bitterly did not want to go to that event because I really wanted to um, run the I think it was was 10 10, 10,000 or 5,000 um, and I got fourth for the Commonwealth Games qualifying for that, that event. You're talking about the Auckland, the 1990 games. Auckland Commonwealth yes. Games, yeah? Yes, yeah. So I I missed the spot for the well, running, five or 10,000, I can't remember which one, um, by one spot. And so I bitterly didn't want to do the triathlon because I was, I just, I don't know, I felt that people thought running was a much more real event. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, only because my dad asked me to, I did the Commonwealth Games triathlon um, and he actually took the train up there, I can't even remember from Christchurch, but I, when, I, when I won it, won that event, even though I was reasonably unfit and hadn't wanted to do it, I felt a lot more pride in the sport that I was involved in and that people had a real sense that, you know, I was an elite athlete in an elite sport, and I think that gave me enormous satisfaction. Mm, great. Why did you give it away? Simply had enough, done enough, was absolutely over it, didn't need to do any more, um, and, you know, I just knew there were other things in my life I wanted to do. And you ended up doing them. Um, your business, in case people are interested, uh, is orth- orthopaedic parts, is that right? I, I was. It was orthopedic implants, which, um, but I'm not in that business anymore. I sold out of that a few years ago, 
And now I'm the life of leisure, I'm retired. <laughs> you deserve that too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed the chat. And thank you for all the, um, the pride that you have created in New Zealanders over the years. We were so proud of you at the time. You're in the uh, the Sports Hall of Fame. And, um, yeah, thank you for the memories. You're welcome. Thanks for the interview. It's been lovely. Thank you, Jesse. What a legend, eh? Aaron Baker on Sporting History today.